Welcome to the New Life Baptist Podcast. Our mission is to love the Great Commandment, live the Great Commission, and lead one more to Jesus Christ. We thank you for listening, and we hope that you are encouraged today as we dive into God's Word. Pastor Clay and worship team. So excited to be in God's word with you this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 5 and continue in our series on Mark. Amen. Does it not look good around here today? Do you see we got more Christmas trees in Hobby Lobby, right? It is looking good and we are so excited. In fact, if you were part of the 20-something people who came and they spent all day up here decorating, would you stand up and we just appreciate you for a moment? If you came and helped with decorations, amen. So thankful for Robin and just her uh, team and just the gift God has given her there with just making things look so incredible. We're so thankful for them. If you have Mark chapter 5, verse 21, will you stand with me as we read the first part of God's word this morning? It says in verse 21, And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. Let's pray this morning as we just seek the Lord. And so, Father, Lord, we come humbly before you. We acknowledge that you are God today. Lord, we acknowledge that this is your word and it is so good. And so, Lord, would you teach us as only you can teach us, God? Would you show us truths about who you are, your character? Lord, would you help us be transformed to be more like you when we leave here? God, Jesus, he died for us. So we glorify you now in this time. We lift up his name and all God's people said, amen. You have a seat as we continue to worship this morning in the word. And this morning we're going to look at what I've called a mission of mercy. Man, church, our Lord is a merciful king and God, is he not? It says in his word that he grants us new mercies each and every day. In fact, the fact that you're breathing right now testifies to his mercy. The breath in your lungs is evidence that God is a merciful God. Jesus was one of mercy. His miracles, his message, the Messiah was a Messiah of mercy. Why is that? I believe that Jesus truly was fully God and he was fully man. I believe he held the power of God. We see all these miracles throughout the Bible where he had power over creation. He had power over demons and disease and distress and and everything else that you could, and even death. He had power over all these things. So here's what I know about Jesus because he held the power of God. He was fully God. He could have done anything to show that he was God. He could have rearranged the stars in the sky. He could have changed the sun to blue or whatever he wanted to do. God could have done anything. He could have been Superman and flow around with powers. Everyone would be like, this is truly the son of God. In fact, some people were looking for that. Some people wanted that. But our God was a merciful one because what did Jesus do on earth? He spent his time with the least, the last, and the lost. God chose, right, for Jesus to be revealed as his son, the mercy that he would have to spend time healing and sitting with those who were suffering. Man, Jesus was a merciful Messiah because he chose, right, what we probably wouldn't choose, to spend the limited amount of time we have on earth with those nobody else wanted to be with, to sit with them, to be a friend of sinners, 
to sit in their suffering, to cry with them, to laugh with them. He was truly fully God and he was fully man. Ours is a God who is merciful, church. So we're going to look at this man named Jesus who was on a mission of mercy. I want you to look at your friends and say, I need his mercy today. Because you're good Baptist, turn to the other person and say, you need his mercy today. That's right. Psalm 103.8 says, in fact, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Can I tell you some good news this morning, church? Our God is a merciful God. And I'm so thankful for that. Look back at the text. It talks about this man named Jairus came, one of the rulers of the synagogue. And seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet. I love that a lot of times we see in the Bible a response to Jesus that's appropriate, right? Multiple people, when they come to Jesus, what do they do? They fall at his feet. In fact, in Mark, we just read last week about the man who was delivered from the demons. And what did he do in Mark 5, 6? It says, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And in just a moment, we're going to look at this woman. And in verse 33, it says, But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Church, can I help somebody this morning? The only response to Jesus is to fall at his feet. The only response to Jesus is to simply fall at his feet. I want you to know it doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what you think about Jesus doesn't matter what you think about this gospel, you will fall before the name of Jesus. In fact, the Bible tells us clearly, right, in Philippians 2, 10 through 11, it says, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee, every means every, I just want you to know, even in the Greek, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every, once again, that's every single person, every tongue confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God will get the glory of your life no matter what you choose. God will be glorified because of his son, Jesus Christ. You will fall before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You will die one day. You will stand before God because be absent from the body, be present with the Lord. You will stand before God. You will give account for your life. You will be judged either according to works of Christ's righteousness or according to works of the flesh, and your works are nothing but dirty rags. There is no good in you apart from God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And at the name of Jesus, you will bow before my King and my God and declare that he is Lord. The question is, when are you going to do that? I pray that today, every person in this room could say, today I choose to bow and fall at his feet to be saved. Otherwise, you're going to stand before him. You're going to be judged according to who you are. And you're not God. You're not good. Neither am I. And you will be judged. You will fall before the name of Jesus. And you will spend an eternity in hell, a horrific place. Or you will spend an eternity with God in a holy place called heaven. You will all fall at the name of Jesus. When are you going to do that, church? I pray the day that someone would say, I need Jesus. I need his mercy. I want to fall at the feet of Jesus and give worthy worship to his name because he is truly God and king. You're going to do it anyway. Why not do it now and live with God? Why is this? 
Why is it that the name of Jesus is so powerful? You've heard this verse before, but why is it that we will fall at the name of Jesus? Why is it that this will happen? Philippians 2, 5 through 9 says this. We just read the latter part, but it tells us why. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human, human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why? Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. I tell you, the best place to be today is at the feet of Jesus. It doesn't matter what stage of life you're in. It doesn't matter what you're walking through. It doesn't matter what you're going through, what decisions there are, what's going on in your relationships, in your home, in your workplace. I tell you, the best thing you can do today for yourself is to fall at the feet of Jesus. There's no better place to be. Because when you come to the feet of Jesus, incredible things happen. Fall at the feet of Jesus. I love Warren Wiersbe says this. He says, the ground is level at the feet of Jesus, for all who have burdens meet there. You want to know why this stage is elevated? It's not so man can be lifted up. It's so that we can hold high the word of God. It's so that we can lift up and exalt the worship of God. And so that we can testify the work of God. Church, we got to get to a point where we get lowly in heart. And we are so prideful, right? We are so self-serving and self-seeking. Jesus was not that. Jesus took on humility. An incredible way, stepping out of heaven, stripping off glory, becoming a man and suffering and sitting with people and doing all that he could to minister to them that they would know that there is a God in heaven who loves them. So today, maybe you just come, need to come get lowly in heart. Maybe you need to come to the feet of Jesus. Maybe you just need to fall on the ground and say, you are God and you are king today. My life's a mess, but God, you can make a message out of it. What is it God wants to do in your life today, church? We ain't even to the first point yet, okay? So y'all get ready. This man, Jairus, came. His little daughter's at the point of death. He asked Jesus to come with him. And I love verse 24 says this, and he went with him. Our God is a God who's merciful. Our Jesus is merciful. That he would even go with this man and spend time with him. So here's the first point if you're taking note. Jesus is help for the helpless. We're going to see that in this next part as we read about another person who encountered Jesus. I love that Mark kind of splits up the story here. He gives us a little cliffhanger, and there's a whole other thing that happens here because we see that there is no delay or disruption, but that, that is planned for God, that he cares. So continuing on, the second part of 24 says, He went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had the discharge of blood for 12 years and had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I just touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. We see another person come across Jesus. This time it's a woman who's had a bleeding disorder of some kind for 12 years. Notice Jairus' daughter is 12 years old at the point of death. This woman for 12 years has suffered extremely. In fact, it says that she had spent all her money on physicians. She tried everything she possibly could. We can say that she truly was helpless to help herself. There was nothing she could do. She tried every power. She tried every single means. She tried everything that they told her to do as physicians. And they basically say this in Luke, that she was incurable. There was no cure for what she had. 
There was nothing that man could do for this woman. I tell you, sometimes we exhaust ourselves in the things of this world trying to find the answer. And we can leave ourselves broken. We can leave ourselves bankrupt. We can leave ourselves searching and searching and searching for the answer, for the cure. And God says, I am the answer. I am the cure. This woman had done all that she could to save herself, and she was helpless. And you know why this was so bad? Because Levitical law gives us a bit of a picture of what this looks like in Leviticus 15, 25, and 27. It talks about kind of what this woman endured, why this was so bad. It says, if a woman has a discharge of blood for many days, not at the time of her menstrual impurity, or if she has a discharge beyond the time of her impurity, all the days of the discharge shall continue in uncleanness. As in the days of her impurity, she shall be unclean. Every bed on which she lies, all the days of her discharge, shall be to her as the bed of her impurity. And everything on which she sits, she sits shall be unclean, as the uncleanness of her menstrual impurity. And whoever touches these things shall be unclean, and shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening. And then verse 31 says, Thus you shall keep the people of Israel separate from their uncleanness, lest they die in their uncleanness by defiling my tabernacle that is in their midst. What did this mean for this woman? According to Jewish law and tradition, she was ostracized. She had no friends. She had no family. She had no hope. She had nothing. She couldn't even go to worship because of fear of death, that she would be struck down because our God is a merciful God, but he is a just God. She wasn't even allowed to go to worship church. In every single way, she was isolated and alone. Twelve years, everything that she knew and loved was at a distance. Because of fear becoming unclean. See, back in that day, if someone was unclean and they touched someone that was unclean, they touched someone, they would become unclean. Your uncleanness would pass through every single person that you touched. Yet how interesting that here she is in the midst of a crowd of people, rubbing shoulders with all of them. She didn't care anymore because she knew her help. She knew his name was Jesus. She had heard about what he had done. And so she just said, if I can just touch his garment. She didn't have some sort of superstitious faith that this garment would heal her. She knew the man who wore the garment. She knew that she had faith. And she said, if I can just touch him, I will be made healed. You know, I think a lot of times we see people that try to bump into Jesus on Sundays. There's a lot of people that come to church and they show up and they're just hoping to bump into Jesus just to rub shoulders with them, right? If I come to Sunday, I'll be good. I'm going to bump into Jesus and my life's going to change. But that's not true because lots of people were in this crowd. Lots of people bumped into Jesus, but one woman took hold of him. And can I tell you that sometimes church is not about just bumping into Jesus. The bump ain't going to do it for you. You got to take hold of Christ with your whole life. This woman said, this is the answer. This is my help and my helplessness. I've just got to take hold of him and by faith. What was it? She was healed instantly. Out with the old, in with the new. Jesus healed what the doctors could not for 12 years. In an instant. Can I tell you, my God's still the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow and forever. And I think God is still able to do what God wants to do. We simply call upon his name. By faith we believe and leave the rest to him. This woman who was helpless found a help in her life. Psalm 46, 1 says, God is our refuge and strength. A what help? Very present help. I didn't know you could get more present than present, right? You know, if I'm present, then I'm as present as I can possibly be. 
But the word of God said no so that you understand, right? So that my people would know and understand the word of God says very present help. Can I tell you no matter what you're going through today, our God's merciful and he's very present in your life. God is so present. He may seem far and at a distance, but he ain't moved. He's still right there. He'll never leave you or forsake you. In fact, if you're a Christian, he lives within you in his Holy Spirit. And you can't separate what God gave you. He is a very, very present help. And how do I know that? The Bible tells me as we continue to see. Spurgeon says this. It says, it's not every contact with Christ that saves men. It's the arousing of yourself to come near to him. The determinate, the personal, resolute, believing touch of Jesus Christ which saves Morgan would also comment, it says he can always distinguish between the jostle of a curious mob and the agonized touch of a needy soul. Church, are you desperate for the Lord today? Are you desperate to fall before Jesus? Do you desire Christ today? Or are you just curious? Are you just a part of the crowd? Your life will not be changed until you fully come to Jesus. Giving him your whole heart, your whole life. Being saved. We go on and see in verses 30 through 34 how we know that Jesus is present, how we know that he understands. It says in verse 30, And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? The disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the what? Whole And he said to her, this is so profound, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. I know that my God is very present because we see in this word that God knows every power that goes out from him. How incredible is that, church? Think about that. There is no power of God that is apart from God. The power of God, when you were saved, he felt it. The power of God as you are being sanctified in the image of Christ, the Holy Spirit working on you, he feels it flow through you. The power of God that will one day glorify you, he knows it and feels it. Our God knows every single bit of power that is working in and on your behalf. Our God's a very present help. Man, can I tell you this? The question we get a lot of times is, why am I not feeling God anymore? And I think we ought to look at this text and ask it differently and say, why does God not feel me anymore? Why does God not feel his power working through me? Am I submitting myself to God? Am I submitting myself to his word? Am I walking by faith? Am I living out what he has commanded me to do? Am I making myself available for the work of God? If you don't feel God, I would ask, is God in you? Do you know God? Because if you do, God feels you. God knows you. And every single thing he's doing on your behalf, he is aware of. Our God's a very present help. Aren't you thankful for the mercy of God today, church? A very present help. This power goes out. He says to the people around him, who touched me? The disciples always showing us, you know, their selves. What are you talking about, Jesus? There's lots of people touching you, right? There's lots of people that are all around you pressing in. In fact, it says that he's crammed in, can hardly even walk through this crowd. There's so many people And yet he knew someone had touched him. He knew he had healed someone. Jesus knows when there's faith. How incredible is that? 
Jesus knows your faith. So obviously Christ knew who had touched him, yet he asked who touched me. We know that he knew everything. We knew that he was all-knowing. We know he was fully God. Jesus knew who touched him. But it wasn't just this one thing that was to be done in this woman's life. This woman had lived in darkness, had lived in defilement, had lived in complete isolation. And God said, we're going to restore everything today. Because God doesn't want to just save you and leave you the way you are. God has an incredible plan for your life, and that's for you to glorify him and become more and more like Jesus every single day. To be light and salt. Notice what Jesus says. Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling. Not a fear of punishment, though. A fear and trembling because she truly recognized that this was Jesus, the Son of God. She recognized that there was truly a reverence and awe for this man who was Jesus. I tell you, you do a lot of good for the church to have that kind of fear again. You do a lot of good for us to have a healthy fear of the Lord. Not of his punishment, but of his majesty, his glory, his splendor, his power. Are you captivated in an awe with your God today? Do you realize that Hebrews says that he sustains all of creation by the word of his power? can't even begin to describe and realize the power of our God. So she comes before the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And what can she do but fall at his feet and worship him? Man, can I ask you, have you ever fell at the name of Jesus and worshiped him? Have you ever came to Jesus in fear and trembling because of who he is, what he's done for you because you love him, because he's worthy? I'm going to tell you, you're missing out. On so much if you're not worshiping God, on glorifying God. He says, who touched me? Looks around and the woman came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. All of a sudden, this woman who is so afraid, doesn't want to be seen, doesn't want to be caught, doesn't want to get accused of making everyone unclean. All of a sudden, she's bold, stands before him and says, I've got to testify because of what God's done in my life. You see, there's no closet Christians. If God has done a work in you in private, he wants to declare that in public. If you are truly been redeemed, the Bible says, let the, deemed, let the redeemed say, I am redeemed. It says, he who denies me is ashamed of me before men. I will be ashamed of them before my father. Man, we are to be bold. Man, we're to be courageous. God didn't give us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of love, power, and sound mind, church. And when's the last time you were bold for Christ in your faith? You truly believed he is who he says he is, and you walked out these doors and lived it. This woman came and said, I'm going to tell you the whole truth. I am messed up, right? I am unclean. I had no hope. I had no help. But I heard about you, Jesus. I've heard of what you've done, and I knew you were my only help. And so I grabbed hold of you, and I'm healed, Jesus. And what is Jesus' response to our confession? Every single time, daughter or son, go in peace. Your faith has made you well and be healed of your disease. You know how profound this is? Jesus nowhere is recorded, right, in the New Testament saying daughter to anyone else in this way. How can he possibly say daughter? Who is she a daughter of? A daughter of the Most High. 
This woman, where once there was fear and agony and depression and discouragement and defilement, it dispelled every fear when he spoke, daughter. She knew she belonged to God. Are you a child of God today? Would that word of God speak over you? Would it echo throughout your life today? Would you know you are a daughter or a son of the Most High? And there is great value. There is great power. There is great joy in knowing who you belong to today. Who are you? Who do you belong to? This daughter, go, your faith has made you well. The actual Greek word here, when he says, your faith has made you well, that well word is actually sozo in the Greek. And it's often translated not just for healing, but for salvation. Here's what he says. Jesus healed lots of people throughout his ministry on earth. Jesus healed people who had no faith at all, right? He was the son of God. He's a merciful God, as we have said, a merciful king and Messiah. His miracles were merciful. So he healed lots of people because he was merciful and gracious. But only those who had faith were saved. You see, it's for it is by grace through faith you have been saved, and it's not of yourselves, it's of God, so that no one can boast. It took faith for this woman to be saved. What he says to her is, go, you've been saved. How do I know that's true? He calls her daughter. He says, go in peace. If you don't have God, you have no peace. It's only in Christ that there is peace with God. If you do not know God, you do not have Jesus Christ, you do not have salvation, you are an enemy of God set aside for the wrath of God. But Jesus did not come to condemn the world, that the world might be saved through him. This is our merciful God. Jesus heals this woman, tells her to go in peace, tells her that her life no longer is going to be one of dissolution and, and defilement, but one of reconciliation. You see, this woman was truly dead. Because the Levitical law said, if you come into my holy tabernacle, you will die because of your uncleanness. But you notice, Jesus didn't become unclean. Jesus did not become unclean. Why is that? Because Jesus became on the cross the propitiation for our sins, that we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus' righteousness, his perfectness was imputed and put into us when he died on the cross. Here's what Jesus did. Jesus took every single sin, every single shame, right, of every single person who would call upon his name, upon his own self, and died for them. I love that whenever people bump into Jesus, right, and they truly grab hold of him, that he leaves them perfectly new, no longer dead, but raised to life. This woman was raised to life. She was saved, and now she had a life because of Jesus. Not only was Jesus help for the helpless, he was hope for the hopeless. Verse 35 says, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. So here we go. Jairus, man, he's trying to get Jesus back to his house, right? Because his daughter is dying. She's at the point of death, it says, his little girl can imagine as a father, right? 12-year-old daughter at the point of death. Your only hope stands right here. And yet he stops and takes his time to love someone else and show mercy to someone else. 
Can I tell you that there are no delays and disruptions in Jesus? There's only divine appointments. Jesus, hearing, right, says, hey, don't bother Jesus anymore, the teacher, because your daughter is now dead. You see, with man, sometimes death is the end, right? In our thoughts, we think there is death and that's all there is. But I love that Jesus did not accept. He accepted the death, but not the finality of it. You see, for those who are in Christ, the funeral is not final. There is life everlasting. It's simply the body has died, but the soul has gone to be with the Lord forever in eternity. Jairus, here's the news. And I can just imagine, right? I can't even imagine the hopelessness that must have come over him. Well, now she's dead. There is no hope. What can even Jesus do? Jesus looks at him, and what does he say? Do not fear, only believe. Church, would that speak into your life today? Once again, no matter what you're walking through, no matter how dark and and dreary it may seem, no matter how great the problem may be, would you hear the words of Jesus from his text speak over that situation today, over your life today? Would you simply do not fear and only believe? But, but Pastor Cody, you don't understand the situation, God. You don't understand, Cody, how hard it is. You don't understand the suffering I'm going through. You don't understand this issue I'm facing. There's just no hope. And Jesus would say, do not fear, only believe. What does that mean? How do we keep from fearing? How do we keep from fearing and, and simply believe? First John 4.18 says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So the word of God says this, hey, perfect love casts out fear. You know that verse, right? But what does that mean? What does it mean to have love perfected? What does it mean to have perfect love? Yes, we know God's love is perfect, but how do we live that out to a point where there is no fear anymore and we only believe? Well, the Bible has the answer, right? I love that the word of God continually testifies to itself. 1 John 2, 2 through 6 tells us what perfect love is. It says this, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is what? Perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. God's love is perfected in you. When you live out what God has called you to do, when you realize the love of God for you and you walk in that. Can I tell you, the closer you get to God, the less fear there will be. The closer you get into his word, into prayer, into worship and serving him and making much of the name of Jesus, the more and more and more you will walk without fear. And the more God's love will be perfected in you. What does that mean? It becomes more and more like Jesus. Jesus is love perfected. The more and more you allow the Holy Spirit to reside in you and to use you and to sanctify you, to become more and more like Jesus, the more and more God's love is perfected in you. Do not fear, only believe. Whatever we're walking through today, that's the words of encouragement for us, church. Continuing this text, wrapping up, it says in verse 37, And he allowed no one to come to him except Peter and James and John, the brothers of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion People weeping and wailing loudly. Back in this day, funerals weren't just solemn and quiet, right? It wasn't a scene where you walked in and there was a reverence. It was crazy chaos. 
the political law, the Jewish tradition, uh, not the political law, the Jewish tradition would actually say even the poorest person at a funeral has to have two more, or one mourner and two flute players. The most poor person, one flute player was enough to create discord, right, and agony. They could actually keep a melody. But two of them, and they had to play two different things. It was bizarre. And people literally wailed and cried and mourned loudly. They were professionals at it and they were paid for it. So Jesus walks in and it's like this house of just commotion. Jairus was a synagogue official. There was probably a lot of people here, a lot of wailers, a whole band of trumpets, right? All making all kinds of just discord sound of agony and pain and sorrow. Jesus walks in and says, child's not dead, she's just sleeping. Child is not dead. She is simply sleeping. Why are you making a commotion and weeping? Now, like I said, Jesus knew that she had passed. She was not just simply in a coma. She was not simply just unconscious. He knew she had died. But like I said, he refused to accept the finality of death. He refused to accept that that was all there was to this girl's life. As I said, in Christ, the funeral is not the end. It's simply just a part of life that we all will die John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. It says the people laughed at him in verse 40, but he put them all outside and took the child's father and those who were with him and went in and there was a child. So taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha Kumai, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately, church, the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. Our God is even able to raise the dead. Our God, is he not merciful, gracious? In fact, the Bible says that his mercy and grace is being lavished upon us every single moment. God is even able to raise a little girl from the dead. What more proof do we need to fall at our knees before the name of Jesus today? There's nothing our God cannot do. And I love this. He raised her from the dead. And she wasn't just back from the dead alive. She was cured. There was no physical therapy. There was no training. There was no rehab. She instantly got up and started walking. Man, can I tell you, when God raises you to life as a Christian, you begin to walk for the first time truly. God says we got to have a death before we can have a resurrection. And I'm praying someone would die to their self today, die to their old self, die to their old nature, their old ways, that they'd be born again in Jesus Christ, and it's only in him that you can be born again. Raises the little girl from the dead, says to the family says he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. So what do, what do we do with this? Jesus is our help and helplessness. He's our hope and hopelessness. What about you today, Christian? And what about you today who hasn't believed in Jesus? What is your response to Jesus today? What is your response to his mercy today? Because I'm going to tell you this. You can respond to his mercy today or you can respond to his wrath and judgment. I'm going to choose his mercy. I'm going to choose his grace and his love. Have you made that decision? You know, I'd love for our church today to just take on the form of a house of prayer. We're going to do things a little different for our invitation time today. And I want to just encourage you 
God cares about you. God cares about everything you're going through. God loves you so much. So it doesn't matter whether it's demons or it's disease or it's death, some sort of deliverance from something, from some sort of sin. It doesn't matter what it is. You can call upon the name of the Lord. You can call upon him because he's a very present help. He is a hope that lasts for eternity. We thank you for listening. Be sure to click the subscribe button on this podcast so you don't miss out on any and all of our future content. We pray you were encouraged by the word of God today. If you feel that the Lord is leading you to make a decision or have questions, you can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, or at our website at newlifebaptist.faith.